0: Well, we are continuing on in our study through the Gospel of John. We are still in John chapter two, so go ahead and grab your Bibles and open them up there, John chapter two. The last time we were together, we left off with verse twenty-two, so we'll pick it up in uh, verse twenty-three today. But uh, we've seen so far that Jesus, his mother, and disciples were up in Jerusalem attending the Passover feast um at the beginning of chapter 2 things were going real well for mom and the disciples but when they got to Jerusalem they quickly came to realize that things weren't always going to be peachy keen it was not always going to be smooth sailing with Jesus Jesus had come to the temple and he did not like what he saw taking place there and we studied last time how The priests were doing business in the court of the Gentiles and Jesus did not like the fact that a place that was supposed to be used for worship was now being used for, as he called it, a house of merchandise. So Jesus decided to do a little house cleaning and he disrupted their economy, shook them up a little bit, but he was making it clear that a house of worship should be a place of reverence. We also discussed uh, last time that As the temple of the Holy Spirit, we are to be houses of worship. Our worship of the Lord goes far beyond where we physically gather. If you've been born again, Christ Jesus dwells within you, and you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We gather as like-minded believers to strengthen and encourage one another in the ways of the Lord, but Acts 17.24 says that God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. And I happen to know that my house, for example, was a house made with hands. And we do a Bible study in my house. But that's all it is. It was a house made with the hands of men. So it's not about where we gather. It's about the fact that Jesus Christ is in us, like we talked about last time. But let's go ahead and read on and find out what else took place while Jesus uh, was up in Jerusalem on this trip. Verse 23, Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. So we see here that the cleansing of the temple was not the only thing that Jesus did during the feast. The people, the people, excuse me, also saw him perform signs. What these signs were, we are not told in any of the gospels, but it caused many to believe in his name. And if you remember the last time we talked about the Greek word and we discussed how that word is used to denote conviction and trust. Well, that's the same word used here in verse 23. Many were convicted in regards to Jesus. But verse 24 says, But Jesus did not, peace the Yehu, or commit himself to them. It's the same Greek word. They were convicted as to who he was and placed trust in him, but he was not placing any trust in them. Why not? Because he knew all men. See it? You see, Jesus is God in the flesh, and he does not need the testimony of men. And he knows what is in the heart of man, Each one of us. He knows what's in your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows everything going on inside of you. Okay? So he knew what was in the heart of these people that were following him as well. Now, keep your finger here or mark John chapter 2, but let's just briefly turn to Matthew chapter 9. First book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 9. And let's look at verse 1. We'll read verses 1 through 4. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Then, behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? You see, Jesus was every bit man, but he was also every bit God. He took on flesh, but he is God. And he knows what's in the heart of man. And we study that in John chapter 1, that he's God in the flesh. So as we see here, he knows everything about us. He knows what people think in their hearts. And looking back at John chapter 2, Jesus knew the hearts of these people who believed as a result of the signs he performed. It says in there in verse 25 of John chapter 2, He had, had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. You see, faith is not a matter of the outward. If someone needs signs and wonders to believe, then it's not real faith. But unfortunately, that's the way mankind is. We seek signs and wonders. Man will travel miles and miles to see a statue talk or to see people fall down backwards when a man waves his arms over a crowd. And will pay money to listen to speakers tell us what we want to hear. And that's why someday it's going to be real easy for mankind to become followers of the Antichrist. Signs and wonders will take place and people will flock to this world leader. And I'm not going to get into that subject right now, but you and I are called to be people of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. but If it's signs and wonders we seek, and if we have to see it to believe it, then it's not faith. And Jesus knew the heart of these people. They said that they believed in him, but he knew what was really in their hearts. You see, Romans 10.10 says that with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. And these people, as it says there in verse 23, believed in his name, but it was a head thing and not a heart thing. And the same holds true today for many people. They believe in the name of Jesus, but it's not something that is within their heart. Think about that. Where are you in regards to that? Do you know the name of Jesus? Of course you do. History proves the name of Jesus. But what is he to you? Was he just a good guy? Was he just a good prophet? Was that all he was? Well, then... You don't have Christ in your heart. That's the case. People want to proclaim their Christianity. but They want to live the way they want to live. They don't want to surrender their lives. You know, Jesus made a qualifying statement about those uh, who believe in him. Turn up a a few chapters to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And let's look at verses uh, 30 and 31. It says as he spoke these words many believed in him. There's the same word for believe, you. right? Then Jesus said to those who believed in him, here's the qualifying statement. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So We believe with our hearts, and our faith is evident because we abide in His Word. So, if you know someone who says they believe in Jesus, but they are not abiding in His Word and living in accordance with His Word, then it's most likely just a head thing and not a heart thing. Many people come to Jesus, but once you come, you must abide, take up residence, surrender all to Jesus. He's Lord of all. You see, with Jesus, it's a marathon that we run. It's not a 50-yard a dash. We've got to fight the good fight of faith. we got to press on. Many people come to Jesus and fade out quickly and walk away and say, oh, I tried that Jesus thing, but they would never commit it in their hearts with all of their hearts. You see, there are good times with Jesus. There are bad times with Jesus. There's turning water to wine, and there's the cleansing of the temple like we talked about last time. And Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23 says that there will be a group of people that stand before Jesus someday and say to him, We have prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name. But Jesus will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Wow. They prophesied in his name, cast out demons in his name, and did wonders in his name, but he never knew them, and he said to them that they practiced lawlessness. You see, Jesus sees the heart, and there is a clear distinction between head belief and heart belief. We cannot judge people by their outward appearance, one way or the other. We can't say, oh yeah, they're obviously a Christian because they go to church. Because they do this, that, or the other thing. It's a hard thing. And we can't go around saying, oh, that person's not saved because, well, look at them. Look how they dress. Look at them. There's no way they're saved. Jesus looks at the heart. Okay. Let's turn back to John and let's uh, begin. Go ahead and go right on into John chapter three. We are now going to see one of these people who believed in Jesus as a result of signs. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus is really curious. And he comes to Jesus at night. Maybe that's where we got Nick at night. Just kidding. (laughs) It could have been, though, that Nicodemus wanted to be seen. um, He didn't want to be seen, excuse me, talking with Jesus. Or it could have been he wanted some quiet time with Jesus. We don't really know. We just know that he came to him at night. But you see, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And as a ruler of the Jews, he's very well known. And he realizes that Jesus has to be from God in order to do what he is doing. But he wants to know more. He wants to go deeper. And you know, I really believe that all around us in this world, there are people that want to know more about Jesus. Many of them have the head knowledge, but they are lacking that heart knowledge. Maybe they've seen signs of Jesus in their lives, but they're not abiding in him. And we got to be careful as to how we as followers of Jesus represent Jesus in this world. Because if they see you abiding in Jesus, maybe their curiosity will be piqued. And maybe when they see you abiding in Jesus, this will convince them to seek him out like Nicodemus is doing here. Remember last time we talked about the sign that Jesus was going to give to that generation? It was the sign of the prophet Jonah. And we studied that that was a, a sign of the risen Christ. Well, That's the same sign that people who don't know Jesus need to see today. They need to see that Jesus is alive. They need to see that Jesus is still working in the hearts of men and women. Let them see the miracle he has worked in your life by saving you. Let it be evident that you are a person that abides in his word. If we are just nasty old prunes, always putting people down and always having something negative to say, then I guarantee you that people are not going to see Christ in you. But you know, another mistake we can make is by letting them believe that because of their head knowledge of Jesus Christ, they're saved. Remember, Jesus said that in order to be his disciples, we must be abiding in his word. We need to lovingly give the word of God to the unsaved people. That God places in our lives. We can't keep the love and the grace of God all to ourselves. The Lord desires that we make Him known. But we also shouldn't be hypocrites, proclaiming one thing and living another. We need to abide in His Word, and the world around us needs to hear His Word, just like you needed to hear His Word if you're saved today. If you've been born again, you've been born again by the Word of God because of the truth about Jesus. And that's what people need to know. They don't need to know your religion. They don't need to know about your church, your programs, and all the things you have going on. They need to know about Jesus. And this guy, Nicodemus, was beginning to realize that there was something more he needed to know. He was a well-known religious teacher, but he was about to find out what it took to get to heaven. And it says in verse 3 that Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Wow. That's a pretty heavy statement. Nicodemus believed that Jesus came from God and he wanted to know more, but this blew his mind. That word there where where it says born again, the word again there is the Greek word anothen. And it means from above. So to be born again means that you are born from above and the bible gives us another clue of how we are born again. How is it that we are born again? Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. So we'll turn toward the back of your bibles from where we are and look for 1 Peter. I'll give you a moment just to get there. 1 Peter is right after James and right before 2 Peter. So, 1 Peter chapter one, and let's start reading in verse twenty-two. We're going to look at verses twenty-two and twenty-three. It says, "Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God which lives and abides." Forever. So you see, it is through the Word of God that you and I are born again. We purify our souls by obeying the truth through the Holy Spirit. And Nicodemus is understandably confused back in John chapter 3. He doesn't know all that you and I know today. We have the whole counsel of the Word of God. Nicodemus wasn't privy to all that we know today. So he is going to go on and question Jesus as to what it means to be born again. He says there in verse 4, back in John chapter 3, verse 4, he says, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So here again, we see spiritual blindness. Nicodemus is a well-educated religious leader, but he did not understand what Jesus was talking about. And you know, it's really not any different today. If you ask people if they have been born again, most of the time they begin to tell you about their religious upbringing or or their church attendance. But if that is all that is necessary to enter the kingdom of God, then Nicodemus could have been first in line. He had the credentials to be at the top of the list of being religious. He was qualified for heaven if that's what it was all about. He faithfully attended religious services and was a teacher of religion. He could have had a building named after him probably. The Nick at Night Convention Center or something like that. But Jesus told him that he must be born again. He didn't understand this. He thought his religion was enough. But Jesus is patient and loving, just like he is with us today. And he goes on to say to Nicodemus in verse 5, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So Nicodemus said to Jesus in verse 4, Can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answers that question by pointing out that it's not about being born of water. And he says, That which is born of flesh is flesh. So Jesus is speaking of physical birth when he speaks of being born of water. Why do I point this out? Because some say that this is speaking of baptism. But in the New Testament, baptism is connected with death, not birth. Baptism is symbolic of you dying to yourself and living for Christ. You see, we got to look at the context here. Nicodemus had a question about physical birth, and Jesus responds with an answer about physical birth. And when we're born physically into this world, we come out of a sack of water, right? and you can discuss that amongst yourselves but Jesus also told Nicodemus here that he needed to be born of the spirit to enter the kingdom of God. So what does it mean then to be born of the spirit? Well, let's take a few minutes to look at some some different scriptures here, okay? Turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians is in your New Testament. For the back of your Bible from John, you'll come across Galatians, and then you'll find Ephesians right before the book of Philippians. Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, we're going to look down at verse 8. So Ephesians 2 8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Okay, so so as a result of God's grace, we have been saved through faith. Okay, so then, what is the evidence of that salvation? Turn to Romans chapter 8. Okay, turn back a couple of books to the book of Romans right after the book of Acts, right before First Corinthians, you'll find Romans. Let's look at Romans chapter 8. So I'm just going to read Ephesians 2, 8 again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Then in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, verses 9 and 10, it says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Let me repeat that last part there. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Verse 10, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So when we are born again, we are not living in accordance with the desires of the flesh, but we now have been made alive in the Spirit. So a Spirit-led life is the evidence of salvation. A flesh-led life is the evidence of being dead in sin. You must be led by the Holy Spirit. Look here at, um, look ahead Romans chapter, actually we'll stay right here in, in this chapter. And we'll look down at verse 14. Okay? It says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Now, let's keep going here. And let's turn to Galatians chapter 2. So from Romans, you're going to go toward the back of your Bible. Right after 2 Corinthians, you'll find Galatians, right before the book of Ephesians. Galatians chapter 2. While you're turning there, I'll just say that if we are people who are led by the Spirit of God, then what does that mean? What are the characteristics of our lives? So look down at verse 20, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, you see, we still have a life to live in the flesh here on the earth, obviously. But the flesh is not that which is to lead us. We are to consider ourselves as dead to the sin of the flesh and alive to Christ Jesus, our Lord. You'll find that in Romans chapter 6, verse 11. You can do your own study on that, Romans 6, 11. But the evidence of our being born again is the fact that we are led by the Spirit of God. So being born physically, right, is a result of a seed planted, a child being conceived, and a child coming into the world. And as we as we already looked at earlier, 1 Peter 123 says that we have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. So when we are born into this world physically as flesh, we are born from corruptible seed. You know what the chances are that every one of us in this that's listening right now, that's doing this Bible study, you know what the chances are that we will die? There's a 100% chance we will someday die. We've been born of corruptible seed. And every baby ever born is born a sinner in need of a savior. Yes, even your darling little babies, they are sinners in need of a savior. God does not have grandchildren, and that child will need to grow up and be told the ways of the Lord. And someday they will come to that age of accountability where they'll be able to to understand this gospel message, and they'll be able to receive or reject it. And that's where you and I are today. The majority of us as, as adults can understand the gospel message. You either receive it, receive Christ into your heart, and you are born again, or you reject it. And corruptible seed brought us forth physically. But when we are born again, it is of incorruptible seed. And what is that incorruptible seed that causes us to be born again? It is the Word of God which lives and abides forever. And that's why it's important that we abide in the Word of God and never walk away from the truth of it. So being born of the Spirit means we are dead to the flesh. We abide in the Word, and the Word abides in us. And who is the Word? Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us like we studied in John chapter 1, verse 14. Jesus is the only way to the kingdom of God. Salvation comes as a result of his grace and is received by us through faith. Salvation is then evident in our lives by the fact that we are led by the Spirit. Go ahead and turn back to John chapter 3. Nicodemus is being taught by Jesus what it means to be born again. Jesus goes on to tell him in verse 7, John chapter 3, verse 7. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. You see, I'm sure this was a hard thing for Nicodemus. And it's a hard thing for many people to accept today. All of that religious schooling and all of that training that Nicodemus had, and he is now finding out that it amounts to nothing more than a pile of rubbish. You know, Paul speaking in regards to all of his religious upbringing, said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And now for Nicodemus and for anyone born into this world, it's not about our religion. But it's about being born again, dying to ourselves and to this world, and being willing to be led by the Holy Spirit, receiving Christ into your heart. And what will a Spirit-led life look like? Verse 8, John chapter 3, verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit when you are born again and filled with the spirit of god you are a child of god and he will do a work in you and through you that you will need to walk by faith in order to see you can't see the wind but you know its effects and it's the same with those that have been born again of the spirit of god are led by the holy spirit and you know in ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 5. It says, as you, do not, as you do not know what is the way of the wind, or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. It's a good verse. You should look it up. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 5. As you do not know what is the way of the wind, or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. You see, we won't figure it all out. We won't ever be able to grasp all that God is. But he himself made himself known to us in his word. And he has come to earth to show the way to heaven. Jesus is the way. And we must be born again. We must die to our flesh and be alive in the spirit Christ in us, the hope of glory. Then we will be led by the maker of everything and the one who holds all things together, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Being born again is not just what you know in your head. It's about the one who knows your heart. Are you abiding in him today? Are you abiding in his word? Or is this world and this flesh life a higher priority to you? I got to ask you that again. Because we all have to ask ourselves this question. Are you abiding in him and abiding in his word? Or is this world and this flesh life a higher priority to you? The fact of the matter is, is we must be born again. We must be born from above. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, once again, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can have this knowledge of the truth of who you are, that we can come to this knowledge of knowing the God of all creation, that we can know you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, make yourself known in a deeper way in our hearts as we commit our ways to you. In Jesus' name.